Hello, and welcome to the third episode of European Talks, a podcast run by the European Policy Center, a Belgrade-based independent think tank. My name is Dusan Pjevovic, and I will be your host today. In this episode, we will discuss regional cooperation in Western Balkans, the role Brussels plays and will continue to play in this region, as well as the upcoming elections for the European Parliament. To discuss these topics, I am joined by Ms. Sonja Licht, the President of Belgrade Fund for Political Excellence, and Mr. Milan Antonijevic, the Executive Director of Open Society Foundations here in Belgrade, Serbia. Ms. Licht, Mr. Antonijevic, welcome to our podcast. So, let's begin with a bit of political philosophy and talk about values. Um, the last few years have been interesting for the EU um, in the sense how moody political discourse has been. So, for example, on the one hand, we have member states where we see elements of a liberal democracy where they appear to gain traction. And then on the other hand, we have a recent win in Slovakia of Ms. Susana Chaputova. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, so in that context, do you think it is necessary to re-emphasize the importance of EU founding principles? Um, are values being pushed aside? And what are some possible consequences? Uh, we're living in the age where uh, values are more seen as uh, idealism that cannot be reached. And I believe that the, this we should, we should change the paradigm that, that we have at, at the moment and to speak about reachable values because EU was founded on the values that were reachable at the moment. How come so many years after we're, uh, we see those values as, as a long target uh, for, for Western Balkans, we see it as a long target for some of the EU countries we have to, to pose a question mark. So where did we all go wrong? There are so many philosophers. I'm not a philosopher, I'm more of a lawyer, hopefully. Uh, but there are a lot of philosophers that, that are posing that question. Where, where did we go, go wrong as a society? How come we made those bigger gaps and divisions? And how come we are coming back to the stories that we, we thought are, are deeply, deeply buried behind us uh, from, from the, the mid 20th century? Um, there, there are, there is a crisis of liberalism. That's obvious. And um, uh, in in country, I maybe to try to come back to to the Serbian context and not to go too much into into philosophy. Uh, but but in in a country such as Serbia, we we have uh, a part of the society that was brought up on those those values. Uh, we had a peak of those values in in two thousand three in 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 the in the era of. of uh, Zoran Djindjic, when some of the legacy of Milosevic were, were far away for three years, so some kind, somehow come clear, cleared up. So there is a potential. There is a large portion of the society that can uh, reach and, and bring up their, their uh, attitudes to, to those values, but they're, they're silent. So we have to see how to, to uh, raise the volume of those who are uh, bringing uh, the values that we are talking about and the founding values of the uh, European Union and how, how to make them a good counterpart uh, to the other side that's, that's uh, a bit louder. Uh, there are prerequisites for that. One of these is media. So I'm, I'm happy that you're today using one of the modern ways of, of spreading the message through podcasts. So Since you mentioned political philosophy, I can't help myself but remember some of the highlights of modern philosophy in this part of the world. When I say in this part of the world, I'm thinking of the Korčula Summer School that was held in the 1970s and where the most um, well-known, the most 
um, important philosophers of the second half of 20th centuries used to come together, mm-hmm. especially after 1968, after a huge social movement that shook Europe from its fundaments, and not only Europe, but the entire world. These uh, philosophers were also very much challenged how to reinterpret what until then EU integration managed to do, what the modern society, democratic society managed to do, and what should be done differently. So obviously, the discussion about the values is an ongoing story. And as Milan said right now, We also have to think about the fact that the world is changing so fast that, for example, in 1968, it was simply unimaginable. We came to the moment when people, serious people, start discussing who should have human rights a part of humans. Are these those who will have such a high level of artificial intelligence uh, that we can't call them simply mechanical toys? Right. Robots are coming into our world, and the issue is how will we treat those creatures that tomorrow might be part of us? Sorry to go that far, but in a way, yes, we in the European Union, and I dare to say we, because I feel many of us for a long time part of that union, not in a formal way, but in a real way, because We accepted those values that it was funded on. We accepted that the entire Europe should be part of the Union in order to really spread the idea and spread the ideal. I'm not afraid to mention also ideal. But for that, obviously, there is a major uh, discussion to take place, a major dialogue, yes, within our societies, but also with the entire European society. Now, can we talk about the European society? That is also a very important issue when we talk about the values. Not yet. At one point, I would say um, the, uh, there was a kind of a shift, a very serious shift toward etatization of the EU, and this shift is going on. And basically, the EU, the highest level of integration ever to be made and to be successful in human history, put in front of uh, the citizens and of the state's major challenges, how to give up voluntarily part of your sovereignty in order to be part of a bigger self. For a bigger self, you need also an integrated process of societies and not only the states. And this is, I think, where we have a major problem a part of many others. When we talk about basic basic values, let us not forget that one of them is solidarity. If there is a concept that rich people, even within the EU itself and the member states, are becoming much richer every year, and unfortunately poverty spreading, especially among the older generations, as is, for example, the problem in Germany, the richest European country, However, many of the pensioners are living below the standard that is acceptable. So again, in order to discuss these very important issues that I think the entire world uh, will have to put very seriously on the agenda, naturally, Europe should be among the leading actors, not because we are more important than others, but because the Europeans managed 
to achieve a level of integration others didn't. Right. So, yeah, actually, so don't apologize for uh, going into AI and digitalization. That, that topic is dear to my heart, so, but we won't focus on that here. Um, I'd actually like to focus on something that you said, because I think it is important. Um, so do you think the EU is backsliding in that sense, where it's slowly becoming just an economic um, union? Because an economic union is, let's say, level two of the pyramid, but like the next level, level three, would be Values, exactly. Values and, and uh, solidarity. So where do we draw the line and how do you see that playing well, out? As, as we know, it started as an economic union. Right. It started first and foremost in order to manage, to overcome divisions through economy. And that was a good idea. In, in fact, how to make economy to serve peace and stability and not to work for wars. That was the basic idea. This is why steel, coal and steel. Uh, however, the EU is still deficient, uh, not efficient enough. And where it has its deficits is definitely in the field of political integration. In a way, um, people who know these this issues so much uh, better than myself said very often that even the introduction of euro without having, for example, much more serious uh, integration in the field of finances, but also in the field of politics. Governance was a huge risk. The risk until now has been managed with more or less success. I remember when some of the leading thinkers of Europe around 2010, 2012, very, very much convinced that the euro will not survive exactly because of lack of governance on the European level. It did survive. So there is no doubt that, uh, in my mind, that uh, the next level is how to really make the European Union more governable uh, as, as, again, an integration. And this is where Macron comes in. He's right. I'm deeply convinced that he's right that much more deep reforms are needed. Now, the question is how to do them and in the same time pay respect for each and every member and their voice. Because without that respect, and respect is one of those basic principles that the EU was founded, to respect every single member as part of the whole. So how to achieve that and in the same time make sure that um, basically the citizens will have a voice, and that but those citizens also have to be very well informed. And right. we go back to the whole story, what is happening today with illiberal, illiberal tendencies. If there is a country such as Hungary, for example, where media also, and rightly so, immediately mentioned media, under very serious threat, because they are simply not as independent, as professional as they should be, so the citizens are not well informed, especially those who are not yet so much depending on podcasts and other ways of information, but on the traditional media. Then we go back to the whole issue, how to make these reforms deeper, how to bring those societies closer together, and in the same time to help them to... Um, not to feel endangered for their own identity. Right. Yeah, it is a difficult balancing act, isn't it? Yeah. Very. So, to tie into that, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. It, 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 is, it is a harder, a harder uh, path. 
Um, uh, we say that uh, the ideas that are now uh, that we are speaking about on, on the reform of the EU, everything is on the table for the first time. You know, after so many years, now we are rethinking Europe. I mean, also speaking speaking on 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 the the, the program that Macron revealed just in in a way just opened a box with with so many toolkits and and so many voices that have to be heard. So. It is. It is the uh, on one side the deficiency of the liberal uh, uh, way of thinking and also critical thinking uh, is is that the process sh sh will last longer than if you have one voice that uh, 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 silences every, everybody else and, and uh, has its own vision and, and then then uh, goes through. So it will be a bit longer process. We have to adjust to it as as uh, we got also the messages here after the, the uh, Natalie Loiseau visiting visiting Serbia. Uh, you should reform first, and it's not. We're not speaking about six months. We're speaking about the process that will start now, have some effects in the upcoming years, and will have long-term effects in the in the decades that are that will follow. So we have to be patient on one side, but at the same time, uh, both the Western Balkans has quite a lot of things to offer. We tested everything that Europe can fall in, you know, in a negative sense. Unfortunately, during the nineties, we did everything that really can be just a test for for uh, for societies that are falling apart that do not have one voice that do not have uh, any kind of internal dialogue that can that can bring bring to to a change but they're going to to this uh, dissolution and and uh, uh, losing losing their vision of common uh, interest and and uh, common common values so if if we are on the table people who are writing thinking and and uh, uh, this can can also mean a change for for Europe. Just to, to listen to those who are uh, small, who doesn't belong to a club even, and uh, who are, who maybe have some of the experience that can be relevant for the for the Europe. Interesting. So yeah, I from from what I'm hearing, both of you kind of agree that Macron is playing a role there, that he is that he took that leadership role in kind of redefining the EU in a way. But or am it, I mistaken? It goes against the, what what I, I actually said because uh, we do not want. I mean, we need leaders as such, right? But it shouldn't be one voice that that uh, that is followed. But, of course, but, you know, Europe is polarized. It should be polarized. It's is the it's the essence. It's the beauty of that that uh, that uh, structure. That is, there are different voices that are having uh, a product and and uh, and that it is moving forward all all the time. So. It, I see the, the role of Macron of, of just opening a, a discussion, opening a tool, toolkit for for the for the better Europe, and will have if he or I mean uh, any anyone with that vision has allies all around Europe. Europe will, will be will be a very, very successful product at the end. Uh, there are so many uh, outside enemies. This is also the things that we should we should say, and then we we there are a lot of uh, thinking and and also research on the the, the foreign influences on, against the Europe. So, and how much they are supporting the, the, the forces that are now throwing back Europe 50 years uh, behind. Or 70, I don't know, I cannot count anymore. <laughs> Whatever the number, it's going backwards, yeah. yeah um, when, when I was studying, it was 50 years, and now it's 70 years. Fair enough. So, yeah, tie into that. The elections for the European Parliament are coming up, um, and many people fear that the pendulum might actually swing to the right. So, how realistic is this scenario, and what does that mean for? EU enlargement policy, what does that mean for us, really? Um, and how should we adjust the candidate countries? Well, I would, in fact, uh, remind all of us of, uh, I think, a very important article 
uh, that was recently published by Ivan Krastev, where he in fact analyzed the research that has been done uh, by the European Council on Foreign Relations, uh, which uh, basically indicated that that pendulum does not have to go so much to the right as we are uh, rightly worried to happen. Um, we'll see. We'll have to wait another month and we will see the results. Uh, there is no doubt that one thing will be achieved. I'm convinced that many, many more people will go out to cast their vote than ever before because the European Parliament elections were not a discussed topic at all. Uh, look, for, uh, take Slovakia. Uh, the last, uh, during the last European elections, 13% of Slovaks went out to vote. This time, in Slovakia, Zuzana Čaputova was elected. And someone said a few days ago, like Zelensky, and I really got extremely upset. It's not like Zelensky. Zuzana Čaputova is a serious lawyer who was fighting against corruption and for human rights for 15 years. I have nothing against people who are stand-up comedians, but excuse me, there is a big difference. Right. And Zuzana Čaputova, first round and second round, after she, uh, basically first round she got these results that were absolutely unexpected, and then the second round, of course, she won. Uh, she addressed her constituency in all of their languages. So not only in Slovakian, but in Hungarian and in Roma. Probably the first statesman ever who did this. A statesman because I, a stateswoman, uh, not only a politician. If someone dares to do this in Slovakia, where, as in other countries, you have a lot of anti-feelings, anti-minority feelings, homophobia, etc. Someone stands up and, and addresses everybody in their own languages is making such an important statement that hopefully will happen in other countries too. Milan again mentioned the silent, those who are silent. I'm still deeply convinced that it's a silent majority. Are these elections going to uh, drive them to come out and cast their vote? I very much hope so. If not, then we are in a bigger crisis. Hmm. then we are uh, ourselves aware of. Right. Maybe, maybe to go, go back to, to the region and to answer the, the second question, uh, how should candidate countries respond to, to these challenges? Um, we, we have to show with, with, with good examples. Unfortunately, we didn't see uh, too many positive voices from Serbia going towards uh, the agreement, uh, PRESPA agreement. And those are the voices that, that we have to, to send during that kind of uh, that kind of crisis in, in, in Europe. Not crisis, but but just a, a pause in in, in the direct direct policy, because there are documents that are binding for for Europe. Uh, there are there are documents that are drafted and, and also promoted by by the, the by, by the European Commission and by uh, I'm I'm speaking about the, about the, the strategy for the for the Western Balkans. There, those are documents that are staying. We will work with them after, with with the with the new new uh, new European European Commission after after the elections. So, if the starting point is that we neglected that these documents, 
then Europe will respond the same. If we show that we did something as, as countries in the meantime, then we'll show that we can we can be progressing even even more. So just to be as brief, because I have to, we, we have to think about your time. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah, let's do one more. Um, let's talk about regional cooperation for a little bit. Shift gears. Um, so um, let me just see what I'm going to choose here. So, <laughs> um, actually, we can choose. So. Would you guys prefer a question about uh, Brussels-driven regional cooperation, the Berlin process, or where do you see your personal role in regional cooperation? Well, I think uh, regional cooperation for us at this moment is the most important issue and the most important challenge. Uh, there is no doubt that um, the processes of enlargement will be slowed down are already slowed down for very different reasons. We, we talked about them. Uh, within the EU, the problems are huge. And if I would be them, and now this is not going to be popular, what I'm going to say, but that's simply uh, how I see the truth of the whole story, uh, I would also wait. They need to make sure that uh, in order to enlarge those countries who are entering really can offer a quality contribution. For the time being, the, in my opinion, the most important way how to prove that we are not those who were fighting with each other in the 1990s when others were coming together, we are falling apart, and again here, to open a bracket, I fully agree with Milan that yes, we have a lot of lessons that could be learned from the Europeans if they would be ready to learn from lessons. Uh, lessons that are not 70 years ago um, happening, but that were happening only 20 and something years ago. So in order to convince everybody, including ourselves in the first place, that we are different, we need to prove that we understand that regional cooperation is our own future. We are not doing it for the Europeans or for someone from the space. We are doing it for ourselves, from economic reasons, for political reasons, educational, cultural, etc. Uh, Europe, uh, the re regional cooperation process is in fact, so to say, in my understanding, the baseline from where we have to start to act as Europeans. If we are not able to cooperate regionally, how on earth anybody, including ourselves, could believe that we can fully integrate with others? So this is, this is for me, a really a, both a baseline, but also um, an ish, a test case. And Milan again mentioned the PRESPA agreement. I must say I'm personally very, very sad that Serbia reacted or reacted by a silence that was very visible. Uh, the PRESPA agreement is, of course, a process again that can have all kinds of and has all kinds of hurdles. But at least there was something that was positive. And there were uh, two countries proved from this broader region that they can come to an agreement and that dialogue brings compromises. 
compromises that are necessary to make a step forward. And we were very much hoping, I can say that uh, in plural, that this is what is going to be the, uh, the major uh, um, mechanism and uh, goal of the uh, Brussels process. Unfortunately, after six years, we see that, yes, certain steps were done, but then the whole thing got stuck. So in order to um, re-energize all the bilateral dialogues, we need to have internal dialogues in each society. We need to have bilateral dialogues, and we need to bring them on a regional level as an achievement that can bring us further both, as I said, as far as a better living standard for every single citizen, but also as a region that can really be understood as an important subject in international processes, in international relations, not because it's big, but because it is so troubled. And if such a troubled region in Europe manages to overcome uh, itself the hurdles we are challenged with, then we can really prove that we are a contribution to Europe. And also, also to say that, that Europe is listening to the, to the region. So every, there is no single political message sent in the region, in any of the countries of the Western Balkans, that will not resonate in, in Europe. So far, our politicians didn't realize that. So they're giving messages that are showing that the, that the, that the region is not capable of, of having, a, having a dialogue. So every dispute that is emerging on, on the surface and is fueled by some of the politicians will resonate in Europe and, and show them that the pause on the EU integrations is, is something that is needed. So we have to realize that as Europe is functioning, we are speaking the, the same languages, we are understanding, there is a Google Translate and everything, Absolutely. so we, we can, every message sent through media will be, will be translated and will be re, will resonate in, in Europe. So they really have to, to align to the European values and to, to have the clear picture that the message that you send domestically should be the same message that you're sending on international scene. So we didn't find that out. So there, we had politicians going to, to Italy, I remember, 10 years ago, speaking against uh, uh, Croatia, going to Greece, speaking against Macedonia, going to Macedonia, speaking against, against Greece. So those messages, and the same politicians did that. So these things should be, should be going, going back to, uh, to realizing how the, the international politics is working. To, uh, to see how the, those messages will be resonating and reflecting to, to the life of their citizens because they will be endangered by the, the messages that are fueling some kind of uh, uh, disputes and, and uh, much, much more. Uh, uh, we, we also, Europe is also on the test now. Uh, we mentioned PRESPA agreement. Uh, we mentioned the, the breakthrough in, 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 in that dialogue. And the response should be not just giving, granting uh, someone uh, the, the opening of the negotiations, but seeing why those negotiations are crucial for, for the, the, the two countries that are now on, on the table, and those are Albania and, and North Macedonia. Um, I'm not convinced, unfortunately, that in June we will have any of the positive messages for the region. And this can be changed if, if also the region acts in, as one voice. Uh, if the region sends the message that two countries that are now having turbulences have some inner strength and, and powers to, to have the, the uh, negotiations open, not closed, then then we, we can have a, we can have a different different voice in, in 
Europe and maybe maybe have uh, some reflection in, on that. And along that way, we have to think about um, what who are the cha champions of the of the new integrations and for what reasons. So for many years, we were just looking in our neighborhood, trying to find worse example than the policy that we are leading. We, we should really try to get champions in EU integrations in, in reforms, not in, in any kind of technical process, but in real deep reforms and to try to, to outcome that as, as, as a society is in, in the region. So trying to find that positive, um, I don't know if, it's, if I'm realistic enough or not, but uh, there, there is a lot of space, space for, for, for positive moves that can resonate. We will have the, the visits of, uh, of, of uh, high state officials, uh, probably Macron will be here in July, if, if this is not castled. So we have to use these opportunities to have something on the table that's, that's positive. Uh, we have to convince European uh, uh, citizens that, that the countries should be. And we are not thinking about that. Right. I didn't see any progress in, in showing a different picture than, than what they're picturing when they, when they think about the Balkans in the so, also speaking about organized crime, speaking about the disputes, the wars, negative messages that are coming from the region, with a good reason, because there are not, 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 not many positive ones. I fully agree, and I think that uh, one of the uh, actors with the real potential uh, are still uh, the uh, civil society organizations in the region, I need to mention that uh, there was an initiative very recently to sign a petition that was sent uh, to the head of the EU uh, Council, Mr. Donald Tusk, but also to the head of the Commission, uh, Mr. Juncker, uh, on uh, the position of the civil society that both um, Northern Macedonia and Albania should receive a date for negotiations at the June Council. Uh, 86 organizations signed. And I must say here, I was somewhat disappointed. I was hoping for many, many more to sign. So obviously we ourselves have to uh, think about what is regional cooperation bringing to the citizens? Because after all, we are closest to the citizens of any other structure. And the second thing is, I think we need also to understand our own responsibility in that process. We are very responsible. Because if the civil society is not the champion of regional cooperation, who is? If the civic society agrees to become um, not only polarized, but really um, divided into different camps, and this is happening as well. How can we expect the politicians to act differently? So, in fact, what I am really at this uh, moment playing for is us being the vehicle that would make the people in public administration, in, in the political sphere, especially members of the parliament, speak out much stronger and act much stronger toward the necessity of a real regional cooperation. Again, first for ourselves, because take Kosovo-Serbia's relationship. This uh, fact that everything is told and that we have more problems to bring people together than six or eight years ago from the two uh, societies 
is really proving to us that something is very wrong. And then you can imagine how others look at it. So there is a chance. Let me just remind you on some very concrete uh, moments. In Alpach last summer, all the uh, leaders of the region came together and there was a good discussion. That was immediately seen. That was immediately recognized. Anybody leading the European Union will really bother bothering so much with us. They are wrong. We are a potential ally, but we are also a very uh, seen as a very serious problem. If we continue behaving as a problem, we will simply be cut off. And if we are cut off, we are remaining on the periphery. Uh, more and more people will leave this country. And uh, as all the peripheries, or periphery of periphery, as Dimi Betre would say, we are also faced with a real threat to slide backwards and not to progress. Ms. Licht, Mr. Antonievich, this was a phenomenal conversation. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the idea to have this conversation. <laughs>